Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. I want to talk this morning about... You can put it up on the screen, Ron. I don't even have my clicker with me because I didn't have time to make any screen notes. So I have a beautiful title. There it is. We're going to talk about presence. We're going to talk about the presence of God. Our presence with Him. The interaction that our lives are meant to have with Him. We're going to share a few stories from the Bible. Share a few stories from my life. But basically, I want to answer three questions. What is it? What is God's presence? Sometimes it, it turns into this Christian jargon that we use and, and we say God's presence, blah, 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 this or that, and we're not really sure what we're talking about, but it sounds good, so we keep saying it, but we really don't know what it means. So I want to figure out today with us, what is God's presence? And then I want to ask a really good question, why do we need it? Any question that starts with why is a really good question to ask. That's something I've learned in my life, and I, I like to ask questions that begin with why. And then finally, how do we experience it for ourselves? How do we experience this presence of God? If we talk about it like, like it's like peanut butter, and it's so common, and everyone knows this, like how do, we, how do we do this? How do we enter in for ourselves? I think that's a very valuable question to ask. So I'm going to pray. Because like I say, I don't really know what's going to happen. I have a, a vague idea, but I'm trusting the spirit of Jesus to lead us this morning. <clears throat> that one line from the song that we sang this morning, Lord, the first song. We said to you, our hearts are open. Would you please make our hearts open to you, Jesus? Open to receive. Open to submit. Open to be humble. Open to listen and to hear and understand. Amen. <clears throat> All right. First question. What is God's presence? Two stories from the Bible that make me think about God's presence and the ways that we can experience it that I think help us understand it. I want to go through those. The first one is from Luke 24. This is the story of uh, the two men who were walking from Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus. So two followers of Jesus were walking on this road from Jerusalem to Emmaus just uh, three days after Jesus was crucified. And there were reports that have begun to circulate that, that Jesus' tomb was empty. And these men were talking about this. Suddenly on the road, Jesus appeared with these men, yet they did not know who he was. So they didn't understand that they were in the presence of God, the son of God, right? And as they're talking, Jesus asked them, so what are you guys talking about? What's going on? And, and then they say, well, we're talking about this guy, Jesus. And, and then Jesus begins to teach them about himself in the third person. He doesn't say, well, don't you know that I needed to be crucified and raised from the dead? No. He says, don't you know that the Son of God or Christ, the Messiah, needed to be you know, turned over into the hands of sinners, be crucified and rise again on the third day? 
And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Then they get to Emmaus. They sit down and they say to Jesus, because he was going to continue on, they say to him, still not knowing who it was, hey, why don't you come and eat some food with us? So they sit down together, and Jesus takes some bread, and he breaks it, and he gives thanks for it. And all of a sudden, I love this, it says their eyes were opened. They realized, what? This is Jesus, right? Like they're just blown away. Oh, my goodness, this is Jesus. And as soon as they realize it, Jesus disappears from their presence. Wouldn't that be wild? But the next thing that they say here in verse uh, 32, they look at each other and they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while, we, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Isn't that brilliant? Only in hindsight did they look back and realize, oh, we were in the presence of God. I think that's actually one of the most common ways that we understand the presence of God. Unfortunately, we're not always that keen or that bright or that aware of what's going on in the moment that something's happening. But when we look back over the course of our life, we see the moments where Jesus was there, where God was there, where the Holy Spirit was doing something. How many of you can look back in hindsight, at different moments in your life, and you maybe didn't realize it at that time, but you look back today and you say, oh, that had to be God. Yeah, like it's, it's true. Hindsight is, is twenty twenty in a lot of cases. Another instance here uh, where hindsight wasn't exactly in play, but I believe that this person was understanding they were in the presence of God in the moment that it was happening was the prophet Isaiah. So in Isaiah 6, 1 to 5, this is a famous passage that many, many messages have been based on. We refer to it often because it's so wonderful to see someone interacting in the presence of God. So Isaiah 6, verse 1 to 5 says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, which each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So we, we might be saying, well, I don't know, if, did Isaiah actually understand that he was in the presence of God? Or is he just recollecting that he was in the presence of God and realizing it then? The next verse, I believe, tips us off that he understands in the moment that he is in the presence of God. Because Isaiah then says in verse 5, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah realizes that he's in the presence of God, and he is struck with terror because he knows that he is an unholy man in the presence of a perfectly holy God. When we make that realization, this is the reaction that we see. Woe is me. I am unworthy to be in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, right? 
So these are two contrasting examples. I believe that hindsight for sure tells us that, yes, we've been in the presence of God, but I believe that we can know in that moment that the presence of God is all around us. The question I want to ask you is this. Do you think these two men who met Jesus on the road to Emmaus and Isaiah, do you think that the three of them were ever the same after those experiences with the presence of God? I don't think so. When you experience something like that, it changes you forever. Maybe not in a, in a huge way all the time, even though maybe that's the result that would be wonderful, but it changes us in some way, right? It gets our attention. It causes us to think differently about life and what we thought was true and real because we go about our life focusing on the here and now. We look at, look at the world through the eyes of flesh that we have, right? But then all of a sudden when God's presence breaks in, when God's presence comes and surrounds us, it's like, whoa, the world that I thought I knew is different now. Something in me, in my heart, in my mind, in my understanding, in my perception, it's different. I think that's how we can tell what the presence of God is or if we were with it or if we were in it. The thing is, with these three men, a change happened. And I look at my life and I look at all the times where there's been a change that's taken place in my heart. Now, if, I'm, if I want to be foolish, I would say, wow, have I ever matured? How, how, how I have been so much wiser, how I've grown, how I've become the man I am today. If I want to look at it foolishly, I might say that. But if I want to look at it accurately, what I should actually say is, look at all the times where God reached into my life and did something in me. I didn't perceive it at the time, but without God interacting with me, I could not be the man who I am today. Do you see what I'm saying? Sometimes we have these changes. We don't recognize that it's God, but I believe that most changes, especially the ones that are for good, for growth, for maturity, for wisdom and righteousness, growing in holiness, growing to be like Jesus in our character, that is the presence of God that we were interacting with in that moment. That alone brings the change. I cannot make that change. That's only the work of God. Would you agree with that, friends? Yeah, I think it's the same for all of us. I don't think it's just for me. I think it's for everybody. Three examples of changes that I think God makes in us. Um, I just want to highlight these this morning. The first one, I think, is we, we understand that we've been in the presence of God and a change has happened when we begin to see something that we once thought was a sacrifice for us to do now becomes willing surrender. So sacrifice changes and it becomes willful surrender. I think about this in my life um, with uh, disciplines, Christian disciplines like reading my Bible, going to church, spending time in prayer, spending time telling other people about Jesus. Those used to be things that I thought of as a sacrifice. I'm supposed to do this, so I guess I will. Now I don't think of any of those things in that way. Because God has done a work in me. He's changed something in me so that now I say, I want to do those things. I want to surrender the things that I used to prioritize in favor of what God has made a change of in my life. Can anyone identify with that? Has anyone else experienced sacrifice becoming surrender? Yeah, some nods. Great. Thank you so much. 
The second thing I, I think that happens, just as another example, is absent-mindedness changes and becomes awareness. You know, for me, I began to pray years ago, and I still pray this often today, God, please help me to recognize when you are doing something in my life so I can respond to it well right there and then. The reason why I started to pray that kind of a prayer is because I was tired of looking back at failure in my life and needing to learn from that. I still fail and I still want to learn from it, but I don't want to only learn because I made a mistake and now God was saying, well, you didn't get it over there, so now we have to do this again. I want to be aware of what God is doing in the time that he's doing it so I can respond well to him. That's a change that can only come from being in the presence of God. And I think it has changed in me a lot, and I want it to continue to change more. I don't want to be absent-minded or, or unaware of the work of God in my life. I want to see it and respond to it well in that moment. That's a good change, right? And the third change that I think uh, God wants to do in all of us, just, and these are just three examples. There's many more, but these are the three I felt this, the Holy Spirit leading me to highlight this morning, is that struggle or things that we find difficult become at least more simple than they used to be. So struggle becomes somewhat simple. When we first meet Jesus and we are trying our best to serve him, to do the things that we read about in the Bible, to live a life that is righteous and and upright and uh, obedient and all these kind of things, sometimes it's a struggle. Sometimes it's hard to make those adjustments, right? And it takes time for us to get better at them. And it takes the hand of God equipping us to do his will so that it's not always so hard, but it it actually becomes more simple. It's not always going to be easy, and I don't think that's what the goal is, but I think there are things that are meant to move from being a struggle to being easier to do, easier, okay? And the example that I would think of is this. Working with with students for so many years, 15 years, I worked in student ministry in some capacity. One of my favorite things was to watch a new Christian or a student who was coming to youth group for the first time learn how to pray. It's marvelous to listen to a brand new Christian pray. I'd actually rather listen to them than me because it's so pure. It's so unaffected or uninfluenced by everything else going on. They just say what genuinely is on their heart. So students would try this and they would, they'd be nervous. They would tell me, Jeff, I've never done this before. I don't know how to pray. I don't, how do you do this? Do you, do you do it out loud? Am I supposed to fold my hands? Like, does the Bible say that? I don't want to, I don't know. And I'd say, you know what? Just talk to God like he's sitting right next to you. Like he's your friend. And then they would kind of put a few words out there and they would be like, oh my goodness, Jeff, I can't believe I did this. And I would like, that was beautiful. And, and it was, it genuinely was. But then what they thought was hard or difficult, or a struggle, as they did it more, as they pressed into the presence of God, and remained there in prayer, all of a sudden, three months later, they're the ones who are teaching the new students how to pray. Isn't that cool? Like, and they didn't even realize that three months ago, they had no confidence to do that. Now they had so much confidence, because they had been in the presence of God, through praying to Him, that they were able to usher someone else into there as well. So those are just three examples of the changes that I think happen 
in the presence of God. And those are ways that we can recognize the presence of God. So when we say, what is it? It's the change. It's the presence of God making a change, doing something to affect us to be different than who we used to be. You know, let's pause here for just one moment. I'd like to ask you guys a question. I'm looking for a few brave souls this morning. I think it's great for us to testify. Does anyone have um, a story or a recollection of a change that has taken place in your life that you can only attribute to God? Maybe it took place instantly. Maybe it took place over a number of years. But have you seen a change where you used to be like this and now things are different and you think, well, that must be God in my life. Does anyone want to share just in a couple of sentences something about something like that? Adriana. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's great when God gives us teachers in our life, right, to model good things for us. That's wonderful. That's a great change. Thanks for sharing that. Anyone else? Sharon. Um, uh, a couple of years ago, quite a few years ago, I had two little two chairs kind of like the one you had up in the front, and I had it in my room to the side of the mom. And I would sit there and do my devotions, and I would picture Jesus sitting there. On the other chair, I would talk with him. And then one day the Lord says, where am I sitting? Not an audible voice, but just in my spirit. And I said, well, in that chair. He said, no. And I said, what? He goes, you're sitting on my lap. Ah. It was so special. I took that chair out. I don't have one chair now. It's <laughs> <laughs> so fun to be able to go and sit there. Awesome. So it's like a perspective change that God gave. That's so, that's so marvelous. What a good gift. Thanks for sharing that. Anyone else? Maybe one more? This is an unfortunate one. I was in college, and, and I was, so it was many years ago. So I was working for this farmer who was on a busy two-lane highway. It was harvest time for them. And uh, there was a feed truck coming and a school bus, and they didn't see and they hit a head on, and it was just like right beside me. Hmm. So the school bus driver died right in front of me. Okay? So, I mean, naturally, you know, you were 18, 19 years old, it shakes you up. Hmm. And believe it or not, uh, it woke me up to the point, of, even though someone lost their life, that uh, the presence of God, how, how valuable life is. Hmm. And it woke me up to a better shape up. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, Thanks for sharing that, Bruce. Isn't it amazing how God meets us sometimes most profoundly through a tragedy, right? Like where circumstances just fall apart right before our eyes and it's like, whoa, I see God in this moment. Thanks for sharing that. So we, we see that the presence of God is real. We can see it in, in the examples that we've been looking at today. And that's kind of how we know what it is. But the other question we wanted to tackle is why do we need God's presence in our lives? Can I just believe in God and kind of just do my own thing and and life is good enough? I I, I found a verse in Colossians, uh, chapter 4, verse 12, where Paul is kind of sending his final greetings as he's wrapping up his letter. And he he says to the Colossian people, hey, your friend Epiphras, the guy who is now with me and ministering with me, he, he is praying for you. So this verse says, Epiphras, 
who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. So there's one line of what Epiphras is, is praying that stands out to me. He prays that we may stand firm in all the will of God. I don't think the word all is an accident. I think it's, it's um, speaking to the, the sense like when we get saved, we've, we've found one part of God's will that we would be in his family, that we would have salvation through him. But from that place of being saved, there's so much more that we're meant to grow into, right? Our, our life is meant to crescendo in holiness, like shining ever brighter as the noonday, like the noonday sun. That's what the Psalms say. So, Standing firm in God's will helps us to do this kind of thing. As we, as we stand firm, we, we, we recognize that we need God to help us to stay in that place and to grow beyond where we are right now. So there's three things again here that uh, I felt the, the spirit laying on my heart as far as why we need him. There's lots of reasons, but these three are the ones that I felt I was supposed to highlight. The first one is to stay in awe of God to stay in awe to keep thinking about how awesome he is it's weird like we're, we're people who love things that are novel and new and and exciting and and our attention span sometimes wanes right we need to stay at the place where we still recognize all the time consistently just how amazing God is I remember when I was in junior high, um, we were on a camping trip with some other families and uh, we were at the Spruce Woods Provincial Park, which is pretty much straight north of us, I believe. And it's this beautiful place in Manitoba where there's hiking trails and sand dunes, believe it or not, you're like walking through this spruce forest and then all of a sudden, boom, it opens up into sand dunes and it looks like you're somewhere else. So we're, we're on these trails. It's, it's rugged terrain and there's spruce trees and wild plants all over the place. And these sand dunes are here. And I look at my friend, Joel, who was there with his family. And I look at him, and I say, isn't God's creativity amazing? And he said, yeah. And we talked about it. We just talked about how we couldn't believe that God would come up with something like this, that in the middle of this Arctic wasteland that Canada is, all of a sudden there's this desert which doesn't seem like it should be there. We just couldn't believe it. We just were marveling at it. And in that moment, as we're talking about these things, we were in the presence of God. We were in awe of him. And I think back to those things often as, as my family and I, we go on camping trips and we go hiking and we see the, the creation and the beauty of God. And it's like, wow, truly he is everywhere. And to appreciate him and to remember him like that, to stay in awe of who God is, it serves us well. Because when, we, when we're in awe of God, we want to be with him. When we want to be with him, we want to do his will. So that's, that's a very helpful thing. That's a reason why we need the presence of Jesus, or the presence of God in our lives. Another reason that we need the presence of God, we can't just be independent Christians, we have to be in communion with God, is to defeat self-sufficiency. Any Petra fans here today? Come on, everyone's a Petra fan. Whether you put your hand up or not, me and Lucy, we are huge Petra fans. I think the, the, the term for, for their groupies is petheads. That's what they call themselves. Anyway, so me and Lucy, we're, we're huge Petra fans. And in 1981, Petra released a song called Without Him We Can Do Nothing. Does that ring any bells? Does anyone know that one? Without Him We Can Do Nothing. 
Okay. Don't worry, I'll sing the rest after the service. And it's true, though. That song is based on the evidence that we see in Scripture that without him, we cannot be saved. Without him, we cannot do anything that is pleasing to the Lord, right? Without him, we are lost in sin. Without him, we can do nothing. So the thing is, though, that as humans, we sometimes defer back to the flesh and we operate in the flesh thinking, though, that I can do this for God because I am the man or whatever, right? We, we think too much of ourselves, but we have to realize without spending time in the presence of God, there's literally nothing that we offer him. He wants relationship with us first. He wants to be with us, not for us to do things for him. The relationship piece to God is so precious. In, in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, it says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, But our sufficiency is from God. Our sufficiency is from God. We go to him, to his presence to receive because without him, we are not sufficient. So clearly we need Jesus. And the third thing I want to highlight here as far as why we need the presence of God is to experience spiritual life. All capitals, life, okay? David in Psalm 51 verse 11 says, do not cast me from your Fill it in. Presence, right? Don't take your Holy Spirit from me, right? Moses, in Exodus 33, 15, when the Israelites are are getting ready to leave uh, the, the wilderness of Sinai and move on, it says here, Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. And you remember in Genesis when Cain had killed Abel, and then God is confronting Cain, saying, hey, where's your brother? He says, well, who am I, my brother's keeper? We all know that, that verse. In, in Genesis 4, verse 10 to 14, God continues this conversation with Cain, telling him about what the consequences of his actions are. And here's Cain's response. Pay very close attention to this. My punishment is too great for me to bear, said Cain. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. Isn't it interesting that someone who just committed murder their greatest fear was that they may miss out on the presence of God. We can learn something from Cain. He's, he's villainized in the Bible or in our, in churches a lot of the time, but we can learn something from him. He recognizes the folly of his ways and his greatest fear is missing out on the presence of God. All three of these men, David, Moses, and Cain, all recognize that without the presence of God, Life was not worth going on with. It didn't make sense to live independent of him. So we need God just like these men did. We have to, we have to stay pressed into the presence of God. Because if they thought that life without God wasn't worth living, and I'm not talking suicide, but like, like not living or going on just without him, then it's the same thing for us. Life without the presence of God, life independent of God, just doesn't make sense. Especially if we're going to call ourselves followers of God. How can you follow someone whose, whose presence we never spend time in? It's impossible, right? I can't follow anyone unless I know them personally. I can learn things about them. I can know facts about their life. But unless I spend time with them, I can't follow them. So clearly we need the presence of God. Okay, so we, we, we get this. You're, you're saying, okay, Jeff, you've made your point. 
we, we understand what the presence of God is. It brings about this change in our life. That's how we recognize his presence. We understand that we need it. Good enough. You don't have to sell us anymore. How do we do this? How do we enter or how do we be present with God? What does that look like? I don't even know where to start. Thank you. Thank you for calming me down and asking that question. So for the answer, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Exodus 19. This is uh, another a Moses part of the Moses story here. So the Israelites had, um, they had left Egypt after being captive there for 430 years. God has liberated his people from Egypt. And Moses is the man who God equipped to lead them out of Egypt. So they've been two months. They've been two months away from Egypt now. God has been miraculously providing for them food and water, crossing through the Red Sea, uh, eradicating Pharaoh's army so that these Israelite nation, these people could move away from this place in freedom. And now the Israelites are setting up camp at the foot of Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God has a conversation with Moses telling him, and I'm I'm just going to paraphrase this part. God says to Moses, hey, Moses, I'm going to meet with you, Moses, and I'm going to talk to you so that all the Israelites can hear us talking. And that way, they're always going to trust you as my servant. I want you to get everyone ready. This meeting that I'm telling you about is going to happen in three days. So Moses does what he's told to do. He gets the people ready. He, he purifies them. There's like some ceremonial purification that happens. And the people are abstaining from certain things. And all in preparation that they are going to meet God. The presence of God is going to come to them. So I'll pick this up here from Exodus 19, verse 16 to 20. I'll just read this straight from the word. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder. And lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. What a scene, right? Natural disaster kind of stuff like natural phenomenon, thunder, lightning, smoke, fire. The whole mountain is quaking. It was like an earthquake on a mountain. This is the presence of, glo- of God. It's a glorious, amazing, wonderful, awe-inspiring thing. God's power and might are on display on Mount Sinai that day because he is present. But one thing I don't want us to miss out on, the glory of God is marvelous for sure. And I don't want to shortchange that. But did you hear... What happened in the very last verse? It says, the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and God called Moses to the top of the mountain. God initiated the invitation. He invited, he called, he welcomed someone into his presence that day. It wasn't that Moses knew that he should even call on the presence of God. 
He didn't make the initiation. God wasn't distant from him. And he said, God, we need you down here. Can you show up? This mountain would be a perfect spot. Why don't you come with some fireworks? Make it, make it big. Make it fancy. We'd love to see that. It wasn't Moses' idea. It wasn't his doing. It was God doing it and saying, come to me. I want to meet with you. I want you to be in my presence. Some people operate with the idea. Some Christians operate with the idea that if I just do this or do that and obey a few things, God will leave me alone. No, he won't. God is pursuing his people because he loves you. He created you to be in relationship with him. And there is nothing more that he wants than for you to willingly surrender and come into his presence, to be with him, to spend time with him, to know him, to interact with him. And that's why God pursues his people. And he continues to do it even when we, in our stubbornness and our thick-headedness, ignore him or are unaware of him, or we say, no, God, I don't want to. Because of his love, he continues to pursue us. We can't leave that out. We can't have that fact lost on us today. God is inviting you into his presence. And this is all about how to experience it. So we enter God's presence by submitting to God's invitation and saying, Yes, Lord, I don't even know what this looks like, but I know that I want to meet with you. So here's, here's a few ways to say yes to God and to enter his presence. There's a, there's a lot of things that we can do, but these are the ones, once again, that I sense that we should highlight today. Start by being honest about your need for God's presence. Don't treat it casually. Don't shrug your shoulders and say, yeah, I guess. Be honest. Tell the truth. And you know what? Don't tell the truth to yourself even. Don't tell it to me. Tell it to God. To enter God's presence and to submit to him and to to find this first time connection or maybe a reconnection after a long period of stagnant faith, pray saying, Lord, I need you. I see your presence in the scriptures with your people and I want that for myself. I don't want to live my life independent of you. So God, would you please help me to understand how to be in your presence more? Help me to give up on the things in my life that are stealing away time so that I could be spending with you. Show me where sacrifice needs to become willing surrender so that your presence is what I pursue most of all in my life. I don't want anything else the way I want you right now. That kind of an honest prayer, what do you think God's going to do with that? Is he going to laugh? Is he going to say, oh, it's too late for you? No, he's going to say, yes, my child. This is what I've been wanting the whole time. And now that our desires and our will are aligned, oh boy, we can move forward. And God's presence is going to respond to you for sure. You know, I would encourage us this kind of a prayer. It doesn't have to be exactly what I said, but this idea. What if we prayed this as a, like as a church for a whole month for ourselves. Like if Jeff prayed this for Jeff and Bruce prayed this for Bruce and Brett prayed this for Brett, what if we prayed this for ourselves for a month or three months or for the rest of 2021? Do you think God is going to do something and bring a change? Maybe you didn't hear me. If I, maybe my mic cut out. I'm not. <laughs> do you think... God would bring a change by answering that prayer request. 
Yes. Desperately yes. Emphatically yes. We have no other choice. Because without praying that prayer, without, without purposefully responding and submitting, what are we doing if we don't do those things? We're shrugging our shoulders and moving on. And I don't want that. I don't want that for me and I don't want that for you. Second thing that we can do here, I believe, is, is look at what we do at church here. Well, I think what we do at church, I would call this corporate devotion. We're coming here to corporately or as one group be devoted or practice being devoted to God. Think about the things that we do, right? We, we worship God. We pray to God. We learn about God through his word like we're doing right now. We set our eyes on God and we, we forget about the things in this world for an hour and 15 minutes. This is corporate devotion. We're setting our sights on God. We say, Lord, we're here. We want to experience your presence. Now, we do that for an hour and 15 minutes in a week. Do you know how many hours there are in a week? There's 168. One hour and 15 minutes out of 168 is 0.74%. Now, I'm not saying that that's too little. I'm not saying that's too much. I'm not saying that's the right amount. All I'm saying is this. Because I've experienced the presence of God here and in my own life, 0.74% isn't good enough for me. I want more of Jesus' presence. I want more of the Holy Spirit in my life than 0.74%. So that's where we can take what we call corporate devotion here at church And during the week, we can do something. We can practice personal devotion, okay? We don't have to be legalistic about it or dogmatic or make it like a rigid routine that if we fail or we miss a day or whatever it is that we are sinning against God, that's not it at all. We just want to respond and say, God, I've met with you and I want to keep doing that. So personal devotion helps us to enter into God's presence outside of church, It has done wonders for me in my life. It's changed who I am because the more time I spend with Jesus, the more I see him in my life, I'm more aware. The more times my desires change and I want to do his will. So what I've done is I've just taken the practices that we have here at church and I've applied them into my own life. Every day, mostly every day, I try to, I'm six times out of seven for sure, I try to spend time worshiping God. And that doesn't mean that I have a, a ukulele concert in my office or anything like that. I, I just pray and I say, God, I love you because, or I'm thankful for, and I fill in the blank, or I'm praising you this morning because, and I, I talk about the things that I've seen God doing in my life. That's worship, right? I want to worship God. I spend time in the Bible Because man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, right? I want to live. I don't want to exist. I want to live. I want to have a life that makes sense, that goes somewhere, that that abides with Christ. So I spend time in the Bible. I just read, I study it, I ask questions, and I, I try to figure out what it's trying to say to me and then live my life according to that. I pray for myself. I pray for all of you, my church family. I ask God questions and I listen for answers. And he speaks to me because I'm giving him time. Not because I'm a pastor, not because I went to Bible school, because I didn't. God speaks to me because I want to hear his voice. That's really the only prerequisite. So personal devotion life, I think, has a lot of value. One last thing here to practice God's presence. In Psalm 46 verse 10, It says, be still and know that I am God. This is a 
one of those comforting verses that we kind of share in greeting cards and things like that. And, and we send to people when we don't know what else to say to them, right? But this principle is actually extremely important. In, in the life that we live here in 2021, even in a pandemic culture, we are busier today than we have ever been in the course of history. It's true. We worry about things. We're more connected to distractions through technology than we've ever been before. So to be still is actually incredibly difficult, but it's still incredibly important. To be still in this verse, literally it means to do nothing and to be quiet. So to be still before God means to find a quiet place, an empty room with no music, no distractions. If you have to turn the lights off so you're not looking at something on the wall or out the window or whatever it is, it's worth doing. So to be still is to cut out all distraction and to be and to know God or to know that I am God means to allow your mind to simply think about your Lord, to let your mind wander and daydream about the things of God. You know, I was out, I was out in the bush in uh, Bruce Llewellyn shelter belt uh, this summer and I was building a fort and I was, I, I, I built a bed <laughs> And I lay down on this bed to see how level it was, how many sticks were poking me in the back and that kind of stuff. And I just lay there and I looked up at these trees, these ash trees that were moving in the wind and I could see the branches crossing and I could hear the the creak of, of two trunks rubbing together. Don't you love that sound? And you could hear birds and you could hear the wind making noise in the leaves, but then noise through the beans and it was different and it's, it's just, it was awesome. And I just remember being quiet. And I only intended to lay there for about five seconds to feel how this bed was, but I was just swept away. And I just thought about God and I wondered about him. I wondered about the, how he made these trees grow. I wondered about how he made me grow, how he made our relationship grow. I, I just wondered about him and it was marvelous. You know, you guys know Madison Wagaman from the Assemblies of God Church? She runs the youth group here in town. Her parents are Paul and Mindy. Madison and I meet pretty much every week and we, we talk about ministry and we pray together and we just work on, on ministry things. It's wonderful to meet with her. She's a great person. and She's doing a fantastic job leading the youth ministry in our town. If you remember to pray for her, I think that'd be awesome. But she was telling me about uh, something that has been added to her devotions lately. She spends time reading the Bible. She spends time praying. But uh, in the last month or so, and she told me I could share this, She's added in 15 minutes of total stillness where she sits somewhere. She doesn't lay down because she doesn't want to fall asleep, but she sits somewhere and she closes her eyes and she's quiet. And she says, Jeff, like I hear God so clearly in those moments. Man, when we hear God like that, because we've cut out distraction, we've just spent time abiding with him. I think that's the presence of God. These things are, are practices that every one of us can do. I, I, I want you to, to, find, to find the presence of God for yourself so that you can experience the change, the joy of being with him. We're, what we're going to do now is we're going we're to sing a song here in just a minute. But before that, just for three minutes, three minutes, we're going to try one of these things. I can't make you do it, but I'm, I'm inviting you to try these things with me. I would invite you over the next three minutes. Karen's just going to play softly behind us. I would invite you to pray. 
like we said at the beginning. Maybe pray, God, I, I want this. I haven't been connected to you for a long time or I, I have never experienced what Pastor Jeff's been talking about today, but it's what I want because I need changes in my life. There's things in me that even I recognize as not being what I want them to be. So I need that change and that only comes from being in your presence. Why don't you just pray honestly? God will respond to that. You can have faith. God's loving. He's a good father, right? Or if you want, we're going to be quiet. We're going to be still. So for three minutes, maybe this will be the first three minutes you've ever been still and allowed your mind to wander onto the things of Christ. Why not try that? Just picture him sitting on his throne. Picture him walking with you in, in a garden. He walked with Adam and Eve. Picture him with you. Nonetheless, let's take three minutes right now and do one of those things. I, I invite you to do that together with me.